I'm very pleased to welcome back to Money Talks Night Down, Lobo Tigra. You can find him at theindependentspeculator.com. I follow him on Due Diligence Guy. Uh, when I go on to Twitter, which I do all the time, but I mean, I follow him there on a daily basis as he looks at, broadly speaking, well, the overall economy, of course, but also the resource sector. And I'm going to get to this with him in a moment there. But he was one of the lonely voices. And of course, people like confirmation bias. So I loved hearing it from him uh, about uranium. And of course, that's worked out very well. Uh, Lobo, thanks for taking the time. Great to chat with you again. Happy to be back with you, Mike. It's an auspicious time for, I think, both of our favorite yellow metals. Yes, it is. Uh, Let me ask, though, first on the big picture. You know, obviously, there's tons of discussion about are we in a recession, not in a recession. I've got a a heretical question. I say, who cares Um, in one way? Because, I mean, the, the, the economy is so bifurcated. I could go talk to somebody in one industry and they sure feel like they've been in a recession. Others, of course, not quite the same. I wouldn't mind being in AI and one of the big tech companies, you know, that kind of thing. And I just think maybe the focus is just a little bit too much. So maybe convince me why I should be more concerned with whether recession or not. Simple answer is, uh, you know, the real world and Wall Street are different things. You know, it's a it's a it's a Wall Street truism that the real economy and the stock market are not the same thing. Um, but unfortunately, we don't. <laughs> it's funny. We live in the real world, but we live in a real world that is run by people who basically don't. Yes. Right? Great so point. we have to pay attention to their models, no matter how disconnected they may be from reality, because it's it's not just, you know, Wall Street types and their economic models for these big firms, but it's the Fed and it's you know, futures traders on the comics or LME traders who will make decisions affecting our resource investments, commodities or real money, gold, right, uh, based on this data, which, you know, uh, we, you know, Canadian GDP just turned positive for what you were telling me, you know, wonderful. Yeah. You know, I can say, well, the, the inflation, uh, the inflation number that goes in there makes that a not very reliable number. I think most Austrian oriented economics types would say that GDP is a flawed concept to begin with, but nobody's listening. It's funny. You're, you're saying that, you know, there's this big debate about whether there's a recession or not. I think that says something about the room full of friends we have, because the broader world, there's no debate. Teamsoft landing one months ago, as far as Wall Street's concerned. And now mm-hmm. it's the question is, is team no landing right? So sh- short version of the answer is, it's fine to have questions about the definitions. And, and you know, your, your question is, a, is an excellent question. Um, but the reality is that the unreality of the decision makers, policy bases, and what data they use matters to our investment outcomes. It matters mm-hmm. to what the Fed will do to rates, which matters to the dollar, which matters to the price of anything that's priced in dollars. Now, that's a great explanation, though. That, that's exactly why, as you say, it's not reality, but as much as it hits our investment, you know, kind of portfolios. And in looking at that, then looking at 224, um, are you still seeing, you know, because it has been sort of a, a more robust economic, especially in the States, the States has been much stronger than Canada, you know, in the broad economic numbers. Or the rest but, of the world. Yeah, exactly. The rest of the world, too. Um, so what are you looking at interest rate wise? Because that seems to be where really people where the rubber hits the road for people. You know, they sort of go, blah, 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 Mike. What are interest rates going to do? Well, it's it's interesting that we are having this discussion right now on Fed Day because there is a. The, the mainstream view 
is that the Fed has already come out and said, we are at restrictive policy. We're at a sufficiently restrictive policy. That's not my interpretation or the tea leaves of the Oracle. That's what the Fed has said. Mm -hmm. So if that's true, that we're at a sufficiently restrictive policy and inflation is going down by their measures, you know, we can say in the real world, it's something else, but they look at the CPI and PCE and these numbers are going down. So if you're already at a sufficiently restrictive interest rate and nominal rates are going down, you have to drop the Fed funds rate to, or else you'll be increasingly, you'll be more restrictive. Yes. So there's people saying, well, why bother? The economy's doing fine. There's no need, or this is just normal. It's not historically high yet. That's all true. But the Fed has said that we're at sufficiently restrictive. So by, by the way they work, it makes sense for them to cut rates this year. I think that's why there are already three um, cuts in the dot plot. And I think that's why the markets are expecting even more because they think the Fed has won. They think that um, inflation is going away and therefore the Fed should cut rates. Now you asked about my outlook. I'm you know, a bit of a heretic on mainstream, or you could say maybe not so out in the woods amongst our audiences. But my view is, is not... Objectively, Mike, I was wrong when I said that the recession would become undeniable in the United States by the end of last year, 2023. That didn't become undeniable. We can argue that it actually happened, right? The role yes. recession, earnings recession, freight recessions, all these other things. But it was not undeniable. We didn't have GDP prints negative that, you know, be hard for the powers that be to ignore. So I'm, my view right now is doubling down. I think that's where we go this year. I think it slid. We had labor hoarding post-pandemic. We had a number of other factors, uh, including wealth factor, including NVIDIA going nuts and all this other stuff that staved off the apparent, uh, the, you know, the acceptance or the capitulation, as I would put it, of the recession deniers. Uh, and either I'm right or I'm wrong about this, Mike. Either, you know, my view has been that even if it's normal to have a five plus or minus percent interest rate, uh, going there from zero, it's just not conceivable to me, inconceivable to get yes. there without breaking something. You get my reference. Yes. Uh, right. Without breaking something more. And it's funny that as we're speaking, uh, we have another mid-sized bank in trouble today. The one that happens to have bought one of the previously in trouble mid-sized bank. Uh, you know, we've been told everything's fine. Everything's contained. Well, suddenly just, happens to be, as you and I are speaking, that maybe it's not so contained. Now, it's just one bank. I don't want to say this is it. You know, this is. Yes. Sir. Mm -hmm. But it's the kind of thing you would look for if the Fed is, in fact, in the process of breaking something else with its high rates. So either I'm wrong, Mike, and Team Soft Landing is right, or I'm right. We're going to see much more breakage. You know, the signs of the labor market turning and softening yes. we're also getting today. All this data actually, I think, supports my view. Okay. It's taken longer than I thought. But you know what? Even now, here we are in January, we're still not even to the midpoint of where you would expect long and variable lags to kick in. We're, we're a little bit ahead of that. So it's way premature for people to say, oh, if it hasn't happened by now, there isn't going to be a recession. And I think the data points to it's coming. It's been longer than I thought, but I think it's happening. But here, let's get back. And I'll, I promise I'll let you ask another question. But getting back to your original, we're like, who cares? Um, you know what? If team soft landing really is right, a soft landing is still a recession. And the mainstream view is still actually for a recession of some sort this year, just it won't be so bad. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Recessions are good for gold. And um, 
not so good for other metals and things that I might be interested in, in speculating on. But to our point earlier, uh, uranium, I think, is if not recession proof, it's certainly very recession resistant. And um, unlike copper or other industrial minerals or oil, even uranium is not beating a hasty retreat. It's doing quite well. Thank you very much. I'll come back to that in just a second, but I was just thinking of all the layoffs we're hearing about UPS, of course, 12,000, but PayPal, and there's another list. There's a list of these sort of prominent companies laying down. I don't, I doubt any one of those people who are getting laid off care whether it's called a recession or not. They know what it is. You know, the old Ronald Reagan line, it's a, a depression, you know, it's a recession when your neighbor loses a job. It's a depression when you do. So uh, they're there. But back to your point about gold, because you, you jumped the gun on me because I was literally going to talk about that with you, and I know you've done the research on it, uh, a bit of a surprise for people that gold performs well in recessions. Well, as a safe haven asset, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I mm-hmm. think the surprise is for people who are a little myopic about rate hikes and rate cuts. And there's that old trite thing about gold doesn't pay interest, right? So when the Fed is raising rates, uh, you know, that should be bad for gold. And when it's cutting rates, that should be good for gold. Where actually, frequently, we find quite the opposite. And most notably in 2004, 2005 was the first time where I really saw that idea smacked upside the head of increasing rates. And that was well for gold because the macro setting was constructive for gold. It was a, the reason for the increases. You know, we can argue about them now, but it was not a, a safe world where you didn't need safe haven assets. And if we look around the world today, you know, we've got two hot wars, either one of which could literally become World War Three. <laughs> you know, this this is not an environment where people are willing to just look at interest rates or the Fed and say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't I don't need any safe havens. Everything's fine in the U.S. economy. The world is bigger than that. And then we've got a much larger variable here, which is a real game changer in this space. Do you remember the central bank gold agreement back in the day where they agreed not to sell more than 400 yeah. tons or whatever it was a year? You know, the big worry was central banks selling too much gold. And of course, they didn't care about us gold bugs. They Their deal was between them because they didn't want to have anybody selling too much and depressing the price before they could sell. So it was a, it was a, a, a you know, a, an agreement amongst thieves, as it were, gentlemen thieves, if you want to be that kind, that we're going to be restrained in our selling so we can all get good exit prices. This is before the famous brown bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So that was the context before. Now the context is net net central banks are buyers. And when it happened, I, I'm, I can't claim that I'm the one who identified this. Certainly not the only one who put my claw on this. But when the U.S. weaponized the dollar, right, the response to Russia's second invasion of Ukraine and kicking Russia out of the SWIFT system, seizing U.S. reserves, you know, that was a big wake up call to central banks all around the world. And it's not just access of evil countries that are doing this. It's, a, it's basically anybody except the U.S.'s closest allies is buying gold. And I don't see that going away. That This is a one-way street. You, you, you tell the world that your dollar reserves are not safe and that you may be kicked out of the club. You may not be able to transact through New York. Well, it's only prudent. It's not, you know, it's not dictators only. It's only prudent to say, you know what, we need a plan B. So I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Mike, but, but yes, I'm very bullish on gold this year. And maybe the most important thing to me is, and this is going to sound a bit hypey and promotional, which I hate, but, but the fact is 
we're going into a scenario that looks bullish for gold from a plus or minus $2,000 base. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the last time we saw something like this, we were going into it from a $1,400, $1,500 base and what happened. So I don't even want to talk about what the numbers of what the gold dollar exchange ratio might reach because it'll sound like hype and nonsense. But, you know, just a 10% rise from where we are puts us, you know, well above, you know, not just above, but well above previous nominal all-time highs, which would generate, I saw, I think it was a JP Morgan forecast for gold at the end of 2023, not mine, JP Morgan, or some big Wall Street bank. And their forecast was for $2,300 gold. That's not that far from where we are now. It's not It's not like this huge outlandish forecast. And this is a mainstream institution. But just think of the headlines, Mike. If we get anywhere near there, you know, what is that going to do to awareness? And then again, in the context of all the macro, the geopolitical, the Fed pivoting, right? Um, you know, I, I, this is almost me pounding the table, Mike. I, I would not want to be short gold or gold stocks going into this year. Let's talk about the gold stocks for a second. As you say, the, the gold price performance. And again, when you start using other metrics about like compared to the dollar, compared to this, you know, it's done well. It's done solid. Maybe not appeasing the people who are super keen. You know, why aren't we at $50,000 gold? And, I, and I'm with you. If we're measuring in paper currencies, uh, you know, anything goes at that point, given how fast they're producing them to support deficits and all that stuff. But I'm wondering about the lack of uh, and I think I'm saying this from a, is it an opportunity point of view? Yes. Uh, junior gold haven't yes. jumped on board. Uh, but, but at least the juniors, you look at the, who, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Look at the hooey yeah. and it's, you know, the gold stocks on average are still on sale. You yeah. look at the juniors even more so. Absolutely. And it, the, my favorite thing is like, forget the in nominal terms. If you look at them priced in gold, which is really the most important comparison, that's what they produce after all. So yeah. a gold is real money. So that's a, a reasonable basis. But B, you know, if they're producing gold and, and some high quality companies are trading at or near like all time lows <laughs> in terms of, you know, real money, gold, you know, that I that's to my mind, that is a screaming opportunity. This is yeah. why I mentioned, you know, this is the equivalent of Lobo Tigre pounding the table. I'm, I'm quite excited about this. It was kind of like the other yellow metal, if we had spoken a year ago. Before the big ramp up, it, it just seemed like it was a trade whose time has come. People hated the uranium stocks because there had been a big spike in 2021 and it wasn't doing anything. You know, the memes on the Internet, you know, the, the, the troll with the stick, you know, come on, uranium, do something. Right. Yeah. You know, people hated it. The stocks were on sale. But, you know, the demand was coming. The long term contracts were in. Japan was restarting. Spot had hoovered up all the cheap pounds. It was it was a kind of a no brainer, you know. Nothing is certain in speculation, Mike, but that was as close to a, a sure thing as I could see in, in resources. And the stocks were on sale. And boy, has that worked out well for my clients and probably yours as well. Yeah. So I feel that way about gold this year. And it's not that I don't love uranium anymore, but the stocks, at least the better ones, are no longer on sale the way they were before. Whereas gold stocks on average and even some quality company, you know, multi-million ounce discoveries in the ground with positive feasibility studies, even some of these are on sale. So for a, for a stock picker here, you know, you don't, you don't want moose pasture ink that, that doesn't respond to the price of gold at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it, a little bit of due diligence here, I think goes a long way. And I think, you know, I, I may be wrong, but I'm putting my own money where my mouth is here, Mike, I am deploying 
larger amounts in um, any of them that got away from me. I'm looking to maybe average down on some. I am putting more money into gold stocks right now. Uh, let me come back to uranium because, uh, as I said, I'm going back a bit. You were right on top of that market. Obviously, it worked out, uh, continues. As you say, you look at the fundamental story about increasing, you know, uh, reactor building and, and permits coming out and the demand's going to be there. Lots of lots of that story. Then you get to the point where you go, oh, my gosh, this thing's up 100 percent or this stock's up this. What do you think about that window now? You know, I mean, have we fully priced? Is there too much hype? As you said, you walk in a room now, people are talking uranium. Yeah. You know, uh, that's never that's never a good sign for bargain hunters. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. And, and you know, some of the better stocks in this space, at least the ones that are most immediately poised to deliver value for shareholders, have hit 52-week highs or multi-year highs. And you know, I, nobody threw any rotten tomatoes at me at the Vancouver Resource Conference when I said this, but it's probably because people didn't bring any. Um, but I told people, I said, don't chase stocks at 52-week highs. I mean, I, I, I love the uranium thesis. I am a multi-year, multi-decade bull on uranium. But it just doesn't, you know, this isn't just me. Like any yeah. tried and true investor would tell you, you don't buy th- something that's just gone like this. The idea is buy low, sell high, not buy high and hope to heck to sell higher. That's not mm-hmm. the formula. But, you know, so saying this is not being, you know, a heretic, I hope, or it shouldn't be anti-uranium. He lacks conviction. That's, that's not the point. The point is be a little bit reasonable. And the underlying commodity had just gone. As, as I took stage on the uranium panel at the Vancouver conference, uranium had just gone like this to 106 and change. And I said, look for a pullback. And they all booed and hissed and they moved away from me on the group W bench there. I was all by myself on one side. I love that you get my references. Um, so I'm sitting there on the group W bench saying, look, I'm not a bear, but it makes sense after it goes yeah. vertical to look for a little bit of a pullback. If I wanted to buy, I'd look for a pullback. And, and lo and behold, as you and I are recording, it's pulled back to a hundred bucks. Now that's not a big retreat, but it's the biggest retreat in a year. And you know, and it, it shows the point. Nothing goes vertical forever. So A, I see it as a healthy thing. And yes, I see it as a buying opportunity. If I had no uranium stocks at all right now, I would look at the current retreat to see, you know, who's dipped, who are the obvious winners who I can get for less than a 52 week or multi-year high, right? That would be, you know, I would want at least an initial finger in the pie here because while, you know, experience, prudence, history suggests that you know, this is nothing in terms of a correction. There should be more correction and consolidation, which would be healthy for uranium. There's also some real sort of flavor of the day mojo going here, Mike, where yeah. uh, just today, as, as you and I are recording, there's a news that Biden is is pushing for one and a half billion dollars just for one single old nuclear power plant to bring it back online. And this isn't, you know, research for advanced nuclear or the next generation. This is old tech, right? Yeah. And what this tells me is that the powers that be, even left of center, like watermelons, whatever name you want to throw at them, right? Even these people are realizing whether you agree with their climate change agenda or not, they're not going to make it without nuclear. Like people are getting the light bulb has gone off. Even even as our friend Rick Rule likes to say, that great nuclear physicist Greta Thunberg has you know chastised Germany for shutting down its nuclear power plants. Right in that kind of world, where Biden of all people is pushing billions 
to a utility to <laughs> to keep an, an old, you know, you know, decades old nuclear power plant going. That is a completely different world from where we were just a few years ago. So we've had the fundamentals on our side, which I'm sure your audience is aware of for a long time. The mine supply hasn't been there for years. There was secondary supply that was that was swamping the market after Fukushima. But now with Japan doing its U-turn, that's gone, you know, against spots, the Sprott Trust hoovering up the cheap pounds on the spot market. You know, it's a very different place. So we've got the fundamentals. We've got the technicals. You know, even uh, the Uranium Insider, he, he uses TI, but also a more agnostic technical analyst like Gareth Soloway is very bullish on uranium. He loves that chart. So you got the fundamentals. That's me. I'm the fundamentalist. You got the technicals. And now we've got the storium, right? The narrative is getting really strong. And if this turns into a genuine flavor of the day, again, I, I don't want to get too hyperbolic here, but this is a tiny market. Uranium yeah. is a tiny, tiny market. The entire market is, is like, you know, smaller than a mid cap, one single mid cap on, you know, one Wall Street company or something. So it brings to mind my, my mentor, Doug Casey's old thing about, the, you know, the contents of the Hoover Dam trying to fit through a garden hose. This is that kind of market. Okay, I, I, I'm a gold bug. I love gold. But that's not quite the, the garden hose Hoover Dam scenario. Uranium is. So if this becomes a politically correct, anointed, you know, green energy flavor of the day, and suddenly people realize that, you know, holy cow, there's not enough of this stuff, and the demand is going through the rough, there's not enough stuff, you know, even, even Wall Street bets could try to put the squeeze on here. We'll see what happens. So again, I don't want to make any price predictions. And actually, my outlook for the near term is history, prudence, a sober view would be more correction in the near term is likely. And should we be so lucky, you know, I think that's a screaming buying opportunity. If I was new, I'd want to go in big on that. As a person who's already massively long uranium, I'd love to add to my positions if I can on such a thing. And if it doesn't happen, I'll be very glad that I'm long already. If it doesn't happen and I didn't own any uranium stocks, as I mentioned, I would see the current dip at least get, you know, one little finger in the pie. I wouldn't want to be left behind on this. I don't know what's going to happen, but the potential here like I'm, we talked about gold. I am very confident that gold ends this year much higher. New nominal all-time highs again. That, that's an easy bet for me to be willing to put money on. Uranium, we're already above the incentive price, right? You yeah. know, the lower cost uranium miners are already ramping up their production. The lower cost projects are already being built. It's not the same it's not the same situation. And as I mentioned, the stocks, the better stocks are no longer hated, right? So it's, it's not the hate trade anymore. You know, that's just reality. And that, that makes me cautious. But this potential flavor of the day thing makes me not want to be left behind. So I'm sorry if I sound like I'm sitting on the fence to your audience. I, I'm, I'm giving two different messages, but for two different groups of you, right? If you're long already, Prudence says, watch for the correction. If you're completely missed this one and you're kicking yourself for having missed it, then the current retreat, I think, is a good moment to at least get one finger in that pie. Uh, because if it goes, if it does a 2007 style spike, you know, you won't want to miss that. Well, one of the phrases I've used for an age here on, because uh, I think that's how the markets react, is uh, the old Hemingway line. He says well, uh, from one of his books, how did you go bankrupt? He said, slowly and then all of a sudden. And I do believe that's how the markets, and that was my rationale on uranium, get a position, 
because it's very much tougher to chase, I find, just maybe it's psychological. But the other thing I think you're explaining very well is you have to first decide, are you bullish? And if you are, then pullbacks are an opportunity. Yes. Pullbacks are good news. You know, and uh, obviously, if someone's bearish, you love spikes, so you can unload. But I think that's why it sounds like I don't think it is really two different messages at all. It doesn't, but it's okay. Who are you? What's your time frame? What position do you already have, or are you wanting to have all of that? And all you're saying is, you know, if we do get further softness, that may be an opportunity to take initial position. You probably have more room to wait. If you've already got a significant position, you can wait and see if the pullback's a little stronger because, I, I, you know, so far it's just been a, a little toe out of the water kind of thing. So uh, I, I just think that's great advice. And it's the kind of thing that... Sorry, really one more little caveat to throw in there. Yes, please. I mean, it, it went to 106 and change. It corrected to 100 and it kind of kinked there, right? And it actually, mm -hmm. yesterday, the broker price index was up 25 cents. You know, that's not much on the scale here. Yeah. But if the correction was just like, if that was the peak and it was just going to keep sliding down, like it had gone too far, but you know, the, if the incentive price is 70 bucks plus or minus and it went too far and it was going to correct to that price, I think we would have seen the slide continue. The fact that the price is now for a couple of days kind of kinked and maybe even tipped back upwards again, I'm not saying, I'm not promising it's about to go north again. I'm just presenting you with data because if you look, you know, UXC, it's going to trail you a week or something unless you pay them 5,000 bucks. So, just letting you know, you know, that slide has stopped for the moment. I don't know if it starts again or if it goes up. But if I own no uranium stocks today, I would want I would want at least initial stake in one, just at least one. I'd want my finger in that pie in case it does go back up again. Sorry, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is you follow it on the independent speculator, independentspeculator.com. Make sure that people go there. It's a free newsletter too, independentspeculator.com. Or you can follow uh, Lobo at due diligence guy, due diligence guy on Twitter, as I do. Uh, Lobo, thanks so much for taking the time. Great explanation. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.